Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Join Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 3 million members. You can win up to 25 times your money by picking more or less. Download the app today and use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. During Dell TechFest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Bill Simmons has started the Grand Land Network. Grand Land Network. Basically... Uh, he's rounded up some people capable of talking about sports and other stuff, too, in an entertaining way, if I were to take a guess. This is the Grantland Network. From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, Rog, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. USA. USA. I knew you were cheering USA. for the USA during the Ryder Cup. Yes, I was. Oh. Department of Immigration and Homeland Security, if you're <laughs> listening. There's no one from there. Of our five listeners, yes. I guarantee we don't have any INS people. I just people. assume they listen to all of our calls, Mickey. I don't think they're big into the Premier League. Although they like Ravens. What a weekend. They're like, what a weekend. I mean, the football's amazing. We're going to get to that. Uh, the Ryder Cup. You know what? I've spent so much time watching it. So much time reading about it. I've got nothing else to add except the biggest miracle that happened at Medina is that I was rooting for an Arsenal fan, Ian Poulter. That was the miracle at Medina, is I was rooting for an Arsenal fan. You are so... You have such spot ethics. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, and, and for Europe, which is even more spot I know, spot I was going to say, this is, why, this is why I couldn't get into the golf and why I was cheering for USA. Yeah. USA keep it real. Like, this tournament used to be Britain against America. aren't listening, Rog. But now it's together. Europe. And, Mickey, you hate Europe. This is like, to me... No, I don't hate Europe. Yes. I'm a Eurosceptic. Yeah. You. Skeptic, are you for for... Seated. Hatred. This to me is like Antigua realizing they're not very good at football and so opening up relations with Barbuda (laughs) and saying, let's become an unstoppable superpower. And it doesn't feel the same, Mickey. I can't cheer for Germans. But I think that's the other miracle at Medina is that suddenly these Europeans come together and you're cheering for Europe. It's fleetingly. It's it's ridiculous. You know, I'm not a Guardian reader like you, I'm not a socialist (laughs) slash communist like you. I'm a telegraph reader Uh like my dad. Vote Tory. Yep. Like your dad. Yep. Uh, but I've got to tell you, I love the Ryder Cup. Yeah, but I love you, it. you know what I believe, Mickey? The enemy of mine enemy is my friend. Yeah. That's why I was cheering for the USA. I also find it almost impossible to cheer against men called Bubba. I always have. <laughs> you like it. I think two things that are sort of football related in this. Firstly, the singing of the European fans throughout, just brilliant. Just the fact that they go to a golf tournament and they sing football songs, I think it's just excellent. We love that. Highly appreciate it. Uh, and secondly, that the press, for the first time, I think I've realized, I keep on singling out the English sports media for how ridiculous they go from, you know, Van Persie is the greatest striker in the world. We're about to start reading Van Persie is the worst striker in the world after the miss on at the weekend. And just, you know, the... The wild swings that they go through. I've got to tell you, the, uh, the American press are doing exactly the same thing to this U.S. team. The U.S. team played their hearts out, played brilliantly, and suddenly they choked it. They didn't choke it. It was amazing. Mickelson could do nothing else uh, against Justin Rose. He played fantastically in that game. Rose just happened to you know, throw in birdies. Uh, amazing pass-saving part on the, on the 16th and birdies on the 17th and 18th. And that's golf. It is golf, golf is a funny old game, Rog. Do it you play it, golf? Uh, you know what? I, uh, it brings out a deeply violent and uh, aggressive side. How have we never I played? Try not We've got to, to do this. I'm a, I'm a, uh, unfortunately, I'm a, I'm a club breaker. You are. Club oh thrower. We club are playing golf. Me, you, producer Greg. Golf and, and ping pong. And the Montenegrin ambassador. Golf and ping pong bring out the dark side. I'll say there's one. English sports figure I was truly proud of this weekend, Mickey. And who's that, Roger? Roy Hodgson. Roy. Sir Roy. Yeah. Knighted. <laughs> In Finland. Yeah, big deal. The Finnish 
nation have honoured Hodgson with the Knight First Class of the Order of the Lion of Finland, Mickey, yeah, which we both, one. we've had our eye on that for yeah, a while. Yeah, I know. They, they, uh, they, he was their manager briefly, and they said that he, uh, he raised the level of Finnish football culture and made Finland internationally better now, and maybe, maybe, Mickey, maybe he can do the same for England. That's put some pressure on the Queen, hasn't it? Finnish <laughs> going, OK, Queen, let's see what you've got. I think it's also pleased those who are still mourning Tom of Finland. Yeah. You now have Roy of Finland. I think he's going to get knighted in Britain too. You know what that would mean? That would mean World Cup 2014. To become a knight as England manager, you have to win it all. Really? Yeah. I think just be a great servant of the game. People have been knighted for less. He'll only be knighted when England meld with the rest of Europe to enter the World Cup, Mickey. (laughs) It could happen. USA. USA. (laughs) What a weekend. They're not listening. A great uh, weekend, Rog. Let's start off, kick it all off. Man United 2, Tottenham 3. Tottenham's first win at Old Trafford since 1989, Rog. Do you remember those days? That was still the Liverpool College breaking crew days for you. We've just broken up. I was wearing acid acid wash jeans. The year of my immigration to the United States of America. Unbelievable. I was still yet to come to these shores. Millie Vanilli was still a highly respected musical duo. Did you ever own a pair of acid wash jeans, Mickey? Never. What's worse stylistically, acid wash jeans, denims, yeah, or tie-dye, which I think really still are the ultimate. Yeah, in combination, that's definitely <laughs> unbeatable. Spurs, fearless. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I think this is a... Uh, for me, this was one of those games that either side could have won. Tottenham came out first half, an almost non-existent Man United midfield. Very oh, shaky defence. I mean, Tongan. if Rio was trying to impress... Uh, Sir Roy Hodgson in Finland. Uh, he did a very poor job. He One minute game. 30. Yeah, the Tongan waved through like a plane having landed. Yeah. With those guys with the ping pong paddles. Come yeah. through, sir. The only way really to beat a Premier League defence this year is to run with the ball. We're seeing a lot of goals with people running with the ball at their feet. Very difficult to defend against that, especially with absolutely no speed or mobility whatsoever. United, only once in this season have they scored the first goal in a Premier League game. Yeah. But, you know, when that went in, Mickey, weren't you still like, wow, they've got 88 minutes to force themselves back into this. Nothing to worry about here. You never saw United losing this game. And yet, they still did. Uh, great goal for Gareth Bale, I thought. <sighs> and Clint Dempsey getting on the score sheet. Right place, right time. I mean, Tottenham swatted them aside in that first half like old creaky men. I mean, yeah. they were just soft, 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 soft. Gareth Bale, love that goal. He just slid through United's soft centre. I-, I loved how ahead of the game, Fergie called him Christian Bale. Yeah. He said he'd be the danger man. I would have loved it if Gareth Bale... I think I've done that on this podcast. I would have loved if Gareth Bale had counted by saying how hard it was to play against one of United manager Craig Ferguson's (laughs) first 11s. But how poor were United, Mickey? In this first half, they looked like a cheap facsimile of United. Like one of those kind of knockoff Chanel handbags you can buy down in China. This is my point I'm getting to. This was a game that that ultimately you thought United were going to come back. United were very dominant in the second half, but they didn't come back and they didn't win it. But what seems to be getting chipped away is this aura of invincibility of Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah. That seems to be one storyline in this game. Suddenly, and whether it was, you know, last year, the Mancini with the, you know, the flapping hand hand in his face, or John Joe getting sent off against him last week. Bulbous Yeah, and taking him on. Or this week, just the players not coming out at home against Spurs, a big game, and coming out so flat. That is not something that you would imagine the United team would go and do. Are you saying that he's going all Mickey Rourke and the wrestler on us before our very eyes, Mickey? I don't think it's that far. But I think that a lot of Man United success has not necessarily been about the team on the field or tactical genius. It's been about this aura of invincibility that's very a mystique that is very difficult to take on, particularly at Old Trafford. That's what I loved about the way Spurs set up. They were fearless. They, they announced they were going to go at United. Yeah. They went at United. Ram I mean, the ball. Ferguson set up last game without any midfield, a radical formation. This one, he attempted to do so without a nod to defense in the first half. Um, I mean, he embarrassed his own team after the game, which is something that he doesn't normally do. He said, we did not win a single tackle in the first 45. In the second half, he made the changes. He dispatched old Ryan Giggs to where he belongs to yeah. a retirement community somewhere just north of Boca Raton. <laughs> Not since old, apparently that guy Giggs has just got himself an endorsement deal hawking adult diapers. And enter the plump passion of Wayne Rooney, Mickey. We yeah. mock him. Uh, I, we mock him. actually, not so plump. I think that the gash diet has lost him <laughs> a good eight or nine pounds. You have a he theory looks, on this. It's all blood loss. Blood loss. 
blood weight. Like a huge boil just popped and he's lost about like, 144 pounds. It's the leech diet. It's haircut. I've only seen that haircut on ancient Romans or Lego humans cut straight across the hairline. Very few men other than Jose Maria Lazabel have more hair on the top of their head than at the sides. <laughs> a thicker, denser hair. But the edge he brought to United immediately played the ball into a dangerous area for Nanny to blast right through Brad Friedel. It was Wayne Rooney of yore. But it, the game then exploded. That amazing goal-for-goal, head-to-head interchange, Mickey. Yeah. Dempsey pounding home the rebound. I have to say, he was a bit peripheral. Nagadotch's Texas finest. Spare part by the goal a little bit. But United found that goal, Kagawa. And this game, it was like to hell with defence. It was breathless stuff like the ABA, but without Connie Hawkins. Rooney hit the free kick. They hit the post. RVP. Oh, shang, that open chance, know, Mickey. That was, uh, that was odd. You would have put money on him scoring Last that. 20 minutes, all United. Crowd of 75,000 plus Hugo Loris cheering them on. Yeah. Scolzi, unbelievable, it has to be said. Yeah. He's old as time, that man. He's also half as old as Brad Friedel. We've talked about this before, Mickey. Did Gingy's not go great? That's a very, very, very interesting theory. Because I was actually thinking where you were going there. You were going to talk about the stealth Gingy, AVB. Yeah, yeah you've, you've, unve- you've, outed, gingy. you've outed AVB. He's a stealth Gingy. Uh, I don't know. I think Gingy's perhaps go less grey. Perhaps they go blonde. Not That's what they do. They go blonde they rather do. than grey. I always I think, think of them as like leaves do. falling from a tree, just slowly. <laughs> so they're going around. But what a performance. Effort by Tottenham. Dembele. We love Dembele. Yeah. The thing that shocks me about him, he's exactly the kind of midfielder that United crave yeah. so overtly. I but think he eats those little caribou pies. Doesn't the he? Tiny the tiny ones. Car- he's tiny he's little working ones. his way up the, to the, the big ones. three packs. To do what Spurs did in that second half, Mickey, 25% mm-hmm. possession. They took in a hell of a beating and they yeah. withstood it. And you said it, United, we've seen them do so many remarkable comebacks. You almost expect at some point the team to roll over their opponents when they're behind. But they didn't. And the second half was relentless. It felt like a plot twist that United didn't ultimately win this game. It was, it was more surprising that United didn't work out a way to win than that Spurs ultimately that took three That points. was the unexpected ending. And I think they're on the other side. So I think the, the chips in the armour of, of Ferguson and this ridiculous stuff about the four minutes of injury time and sort of, uh, you know... That was sort of clutching at straws, I think, for him. Um, and on the other side, AVB, who does behave oh, so ludicrously right. on the sidelines. His celebration, <laughs> rather like Mourinho. Uh, Is that who he, remind, he reminded me of a backing singer in a side video. Well, that celebra- it was bigger than any of Poulter's celebrations when Poulter <laughs> made winning putts in the Ryder Cup. It was, a, it was massive, his celebration at the end. You could see how much it means to him, but perhaps this man who we make fun of for his PowerPoints and his Spanish side buckle and his stealth ginginess... <laughs> Perhaps he's onto something. Perhaps he, I would be freaked out if I played for AVB. He would oh. just freak me the f out. But there's, I sort of look at that team, and I know there's all this stuff being written that there's discord in the in, in the dressing room. But he comes on at the end of the end of the uh, game, and the players are hugging him, and it looks genuine. What, a lot more genuine than Brendan Rodgers what, being what, Liverpool. Why would he freak you out? Have, have you thing. got something against men who have not yet gone through puberty? <laughs> a little bit, but he's too. He's too, like, in the game. It's as though he's playing rather than observing his own players playing for him. It's, an, it's, it's weird. Oh, it's just it, a it strange is, I'll thing. I'll say a quick thing about him. I think it's amazing what he's done. Ahead of the game, the tabloids had the long knives out for him, saying unsourced stories. AVB was facing a player's mutiny. In the end, they won. He said, we wrote history for our team. And I have to say, I admire what he's doing. To leave Chelsea, to leave Dodge with your tail between your legs, to yeah. be humiliated... And be confident enough. I can't even imagine what this must feel like, Mickey. It's almost superhuman. To be confident enough to go back to Dodge, walk into the, sal- the saloon, bang on the honky-tonk piano once more. <laughs> I mean, it, it would be Yul Brenner playing him in a movie, Mickey. That is absolute confidence. I'm quite... Uh, at um, at Huddlestron wrote to us and said, Men in Blazers, we finally see what was on AVB's PowerPoint. It only had one slide, and it was run fast guys at slow old guys. Score yeah. goals. United... Do not write them off. I think we always say this, Mickey, don't we? Always. And beginning of last season, they played fairly uninspired football and almost came back and won the league. You know, we're a minute away from winning the league. But there is just... It's the Sir Alex thing that is that is weirding me out a little bit about United this season. Is some of that cloak of invincibility it seems to be getting chipped away by successive managers, even referees, um, 
you know, you get a sense that they're not quite getting the calls. And I know they did against Liverpool, but I think that's more the exception than the rule right now. I think it's I'll a, wait for your academic paper, the Mickey Rourke wrestlerization of Sir Alex Ferguson. We'll see. He did try and focus on the positives after the game. He said, I think it will be the last time it happens. Fortunately, you saw the real Manchester United in the second half against Spurs. That 45 minutes was probably our best performance of the season. True, I agree. Best chance of the weekend, Mickey. Yeah. You saw Tom Huddleston come on as substitute. He's a big man, cra- large man. Crazy hair too. He's yeah. got that crazy hair. The Tottenham fans have come up with a new song for him. Dude looks like Fellini. <laughs> like Aerosmith. <laughs> da, da. Dude, Dude looks like, like Fellini. That's <laughs> a great one. <laughs> Quite brilliant on so many levels. Tottenham. Very clever. Um, so I thought that was, uh, that was a very, very notable game this weekend. Uh, Arsenal 1, Chelsea 2. That was the sort of the, um, you know, that was the, the game that most people were looking at as being the big game of the weekend. And I thought it was a very good game of football. Two sides who I think are going to be very competitive this season. I think both teams in transition to a certain extent. Uh, Arsenal putting their, their uh, defence back together, betting in new players. Santi Cazorla. Looks like Jack Wilshere is coming back, which is very good news for Arsenal England. Um, played attractive football. I actually, for the one, not only did I root for Ian Poulter this week in the Ryder Cup, I also agreed with what Arsene Wenger said at the end of the press conference, is that Arsenal deserved a point out of that game. Wow. Um, Chelsea, uh, however, and this is what's going to be difficult. I, you know, I've said a lot. I think Chelsea, very much a team in transition this year, betting in so many new players, trying a lot of new things. But Chelsea, with... Ramirez and Mikel playing in holding midfield. So you've got Ramirez, an attacking-minded player in defensive midfield. Chasing everything and everybody. Mata, Oscar, and Hazard playing as that sort of three behind a striker Torres. Between the four of those guys and fifth with Ramirez, you have five players moving, running, putting in so much work, you never know where the next one's popping up. It's like that game where you... Whack-a-mole. Uh, whack-a-mole. Like you don't know where the little mole is popping up next. And a lot of movement is going to cause a lot of teams' problems. The problem. thing I but didn't understand about the game, though, Chelsea mate. have only conceded two goals all season, three goals all season, less goals than anybody else. And so much as we've talked about their shaky defence, oh, what's going on in John Terry's mind? David Luiz seems to be crazy. Um, it's a, and by the way, one of those goals was a huge blunder by Peter Cech, if you remember. It's a, this is a team that, if they can continue to not concede very many goals... They're going to be difficult to beat. Put all that attacking talent on show in this game, Mickey. Cazorla, Azard, Oscar, Podolski, Oxlade-Chamberlain. And we were treated to... Well, I thought this was a, a rough game that depended on three defensive mishaps for the goals. I mean, on one hand, you'll say positives. First big test for Chelsea. Um, from Arsenal's perspective, the Steve Bold revolution may well be over. Arsenal are soft in the middle. I mean, they were like a three musketeers candy bar. But great goal by Torres, Mickey. I have to say, credit where credit is due. I mean, the way he wrestled the thinnest man in the Premier League, Koscielny, <laughs> with both arms and flicked the ball in with the other. It was like the time you wrestled a bear and produced Watch What Happens Live at the same time. I think that the, um, you know, one of the keys to that was Diaby going off and suddenly Oxlade-Chamberlain taking Diaby's place. And I think Arsenal got their marking wrong. And Chelsea, from set pieces, there are a lot of players you've got to worry about. The player you don't usually worry about is Fernando Torres. And Fernando Torres had a good match well, against Chelsea. I've worked out what his secret is. Third goal of the season. He got his barber to give him the Abbey Wombach haircut. Fourth goal of haircut. the season. Community Shield. Abbey Wombach haircut. Fifth goal of the season. Abbey Wombach haircut. Um, Just in the Premier League is third I say, goal of the season. fragile psyche, fragile confidence. Torres, Giroud, ahead of the game, I wrote a piece talking about how confidence plays such an important role for strikers. Giroud's gone on the record talking about how kind of fragile he's felt uh, in the past month at Arsenal, I got lambasted by Arsenal fans saying, "How dare you compare Giroud they should want to that Torres?" Comparison. They should want that comparison. And uh, you know, Torres, I think, is bouncing back really nicely. He's had a good start to the season. Chelsea. Five goals in all competitions. Leading Chelsea scorer, one of the leading scorers in English football right now. You know what? Don't read the headlines. Don't go with where the press are going. Don't go with the popular opinion. Just look at what he's doing on the field. And he puts in shifts. And this was, you know, Robbie Savage. Uh, wrote on bbc.co.uk. Robbie Savage has often been a huge critic of Fernando Torres, and he says, but what impressed him so much against Arsenal at the weekend, forget about the goal, his movement, how hard he works throughout the entire game. There aren't many Premier League strikers who put in, uh, put in that kind of shift. Chelsea, three shots on target, 
two goals. Gary Neville after the game. Well, also Juan Matas. That was not a shot. I mean, that was clearly <laughs> that was clearly fortunate. I agree that both of Chelsea's goals were were defensive. He said there wasn't a difference in quality in this game. It was as though there was one team who absolutely knew how to win a big game and another team that he wrote that weren't too sure. I think you'd say in America that wasn't too sure. But I think you would. Uh, I think you have to look at Chelsea's record under Roberto Di Matteo and look at that. Look at how many big games they've won. Uh, look at how many uh, times we're not playing particularly well. They figured to come out with it. And you realize that this is a mentally often uninspiring team, but a mentally very, very tough team. And I think that between Hazard, Mata, Oscar, what is going on at Chelsea is they, you're starting to get a sense of the brand of football. The difference is, I mean, we, we talked about this on the radio, is that with Chelsea now, and I would say with Arsenal, you know who the starting 11 is on both teams. You know who the first choice 11 in both of those teams are. I don't think you could say the same about United. I don't think you could say the same thing about City. I don't think you could say the same thing about Liverpool. I don't think, I think that a lot of teams are still trying to figure out who their first choice 11 are. And I think one thing that Chelsea and Arsenal have done early in the season, I think they figured it out. Quick word, because we'd be remiss not to mention it, Mickey. Yeah. John Terry, greatest act of justice since the Nuremberg trials. Yeah. Whatever, Roger. Do you want to discuss uh, is that timely? Did we not discuss this last week? Oh, no, this week. We've spoken about it so much. Um, yes, uh, fined £250,000, am I right? A week's wages. A week's wages uh, by the FA. Uh, a ban for four games, I believe, sitting right in there uh, below um, Suarez's ban, below uh, Joey Barton's ban, which he's very upset about. Um, John Terry's going to appeal. What we haven't seen yet is the entire report written by um, the panel. Uh, written by the panel from the FA, you know, uh, headed by QC. And I think we know from having read the Suarez report that these are exhaustive. And I have a feeling that we should expect to see the full weight of the evidence and the full weight from that. So I sort of reserve judgment a little bit on that. I'll say the Tweedy Henry Winter in your beloved Daily Telegraph. Yeah, Arsenal fan. He, he wrote, however much Eden Hazard, Juan Mata and Oscar may quicken the pulse rate... It's difficult to warm to a club that has as its figurehead a man found guilty of a racist remark. Yeah, well, he wasn't found guilty of a racist remark. He was fined by the FA to go and do it, which is a very different burden of proof rather than found guilty. And I think a lot of people were setting up to say that where he found guilty by the court, the same thing, and didn't you know, pass him the same slack at the point that he was found not guilty. However, I have said consistently is that if the weight of the evidence really shows that this is there. I'm a little dubious about the weight of the evidence. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, circumstance. I think there's going to be quite a lot of hearsay, and I think there's going to be, look, it looks likely that this happened. And I think we both know that in football, a lot worse things have been said, have been unreported, and haven't stopped anybody from supporting their teams to go and do it. I think ultimately, as a football story, as a sort of a human story, and whether or not you should sort of root for a player or cheer for a player, of course, this is everybody's choice to go and make it. As a football story, what I would say is that people who want to say that, oh, my God, this is going to affect John Terry's uh, football, it's going to affect the way he plays, it's going to affect him mentally, it's rubbish. And he, I think you could see true. that. He's, he a great compa- he's the greatest he, he compartmentalizer just, in world sport. He just sport. gets on and plays his game. And to some extent, I find that very admirable. Di Matteo had a great quote he said there's always a lot of talk about the negative side of terry but he gives a lot of boots away to kids he does a lot <laughs> of positive stuff what is positive stuff it's like shoes. is helping women locate their g-spot is that positive stuff it depends who we're talking about roger <laughs> are you looking for are you looking for some affirmation right here this podcast you have, you, always you works on a number of levels you have 15 children um that happier news, Rog. Look at that little, like a little grin on your face. And yet, <laughs> and yet sort of uh, cut with a little nuance of trepidation because you don't like talking about More than a little bit, second place Everton Football Club. <sighs> a very impressive win at the weekend against Southampton, a team who I think play rather good football. I don't think we're going to see Southampton go down this season. And uh, more than that, Everton came back to win uh, a goal down. Um, it- Phenomenal performance. Jelovic, Morales, for me, really caught the eye, uh, Rog. And, my God, last time Everton collected 13 points in their opening six games, they went on to reach the Champions League qualifiers, Rog. Is it the real life, Mickey? Is this just fantasy? (laughs) Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Yeah. 
I've got to say, in this era... You're like the little boy in that YouTube video who's just been to the dentist in the back seat. <laughs> is this real life? Oh, is in this era of blank checks, Mick, to have yeah. a team that lives off loose change prevail, it's quite thrilling. You have to admit. Well, yes, loose change. You're right. They spend less than anybody else and to be admired for that. But I actually, I think that this is... You know, I said to you a lot last season that I think Everton had the potential to go and be a much bigger club. Finishing seventh, finishing above Liverpool, they should have more ambition. And they have spent some money. They've spent some money for the first time. Not ridiculous amounts of money, not out of whack with anybody else in the sort of mid-table of the Premier League. Rodwell, spent some Rodwell money. sale kind of money. I'll tell you yeah. about the, this game. We didn't just win. We showed some of the most fluent football I've seen from men wearing Everton jerseys since the 1980s. I mean, it started badly. Tim Howard, his great weakness, positioning on crosses. He flapped at this one like a. I don't think he flapped at it. Like he didn't a, even attempt to flap. No, it was like a straight bass at the end of Clint I Dempsey's wish he'd fishing flapped. line. He's, a, he's my starting fantasy uh, league goalkeeper. <laughs> he didn't even flap. Last season, Mick, the game would have fizzled out from that point on. Like QPR beat us early in the season, one nil. Eighty-eight minutes of Everton huffing and puffing to no effect would have would have followed on. But I found this game quite emotional to watch. If you watched Everton through the dark years of the 90s, you, you would never have dreamed of Everton playing such fantastical football. They didn't score any goals in the 90s like that second one, a whirring duel of team play capped off by Jelovic. Stunning, stunning, stunning to see. And then that run by Morales was phenomenal yeah. from, his, uh, from his defensive third. But surely it's because they have not had a striker like Jelovic who can score in so many different ways. I mean, Cahill could score a lot, a lot with his head could score from set pieces. But I don't remember Everton having a striker like this. He is a striker, not unlike Torres in the Arsenal game, deadly on the ball, but it also what he's doing off the ball, pulling defenders uh, out of shape completely with his movement uh, throughout the game. I say we've got so many players who are comfortable on the ball right now at Everton. Baines, Pinar, uh, Morales, uh, running through. Tony Hibbert. You know, we've got even Seamus Coleman who's replaced him at right back. Looking that, absolutely that run phenomenal. For the goal, phenomenal for the third goal. We don't just score goals now. We create moments of kaleidoscopic human beauty when our 10 outfield men buzz around like they have the... I mean, they, they, they look to me, Mickey, when I watch them for 25 minutes in that first half when they scored the three goals. Looks to me like they have the power of telepathy. It was like watching the Vulcan national team play football. Do you believe in telepathy? Uh, I do a little. What am I thinking now, Mick? I don't know. So I, so the only times I really feel telepathic with you is when we're on the radio and we're in different places. Yeah. And Andrew from Toronto calls. And you know I'm not. I got, feel like we're you both know, thinking you, the same you thing. You know exactly when I'm not got my pants on. Um, I say, Moisey after the game, I'd pay to come and see Everton. He said some of the performances last season I struggled with. I told the players I was bored of watching them, but I could never say that about them now. Nigel Atkins still in his loss, as happy as the police chief in police academy getting pleasured under the podium. Southampton are fabulous, absolutely fabulous. Ramirez up front looks terrific by Ricky Lambert. And they're so game. They keep coming. Missed they a couple of coming. chances, but they're good. I love Ricky Lambert. I love this team. Four. I think it's going to be fun to watch them play this season. Uh, David Moyes, do you think he looks a little bit like Rango? If I knew who Rango was... We'll put that I've up not. on the pod. I think David Moyes just looks... It just, come to been, it just came to me this week and I was watching one of his press conferences. He's got these big bulging eyes. He looks a little bit like Rango. I'm surprised you haven't watched that with your kids. I'm on it. Yeah. He's not green. You know why Other we're than not, the fact he's not green. You know why we're not watching Rango? It's like Poulter reminds me of the Geico Lizard. All my, ki- <laughs> all my kids like to watch now. It's uh-huh. a favourite kid show, being Liverpool. Oh, the best. This, se- this week's... I thought this week's episode was the best season. Well, let, let's chat about it when we've talked about Liverpool, Liverpool. But I will say this. Name me the stars, Mickey, of any other reality TV show who could score as many goals as Liverpool did on, on uh, Saturday. Real Housewives of New Jersey or the stars of Hillbilly Handfishing. They couldn't put no. five past Norwich. No. They're not just great actors, Mickey. They're starting to look good on the football field. Sterling, Suso, Andre, Wisdom, three teenagers. What's going on there? Yeah. By the way, maybe the stars... that. Uh, you sent me the link for the new UK reality show. We've got to put that up on the, uh, on the website, Greg, on meninblazers.com. The Valleys. The Valleys. The Valleys. That was fantastic. It's the new uh, British equivalent of the Jersey Shore that follows on the Geordie Shore. And there's a great line in it where, where one of the kids, who's the uh, kickboxer, the martial artist, he says, everybody knows if you want to do anything with your life, you've got to go to Cardiff. And that, that, there's a woman who looks at the camera and just spits out this great three words. 
trainers, trackies, twats. <laughs> yeah, trainers, trackies, twats. It's unbelievable. It. The thing that's unbelievable about that show is yeah. that the, the men have pumped so much iron or ingested so many illegal steroids. Yeah. They all have bigger breasts than the women. Oh, it's amazing. Fabulous television. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, being Liverpool. Luis yeah, we'll, Suarez. We'll get to that in a second. But Liverpool's performance, i got to say, we said last week, okay, it's one thing to go and play well against Man United. Let's see how they go and do, you know, away at Norwich. They've definitely passed that test. This was a fluid performance. Suarez scored, I mean, a hat-trick and a phenomenal hat-trick. And he scored quicker than he could go to jail, go directly to jail, do not pass go. Yeah, that second goal with the outside of his right foot, stealing the ball on the edge of the area, scoring with the outside of his right foot, right after he'd been double-fister wanker-taunted by the Norwich fans. Don't, don't, don't. Double-fister (laughs) wanker-taunt. Luis Suarez. What a stat line he had. Six shots, three on target. Three key passes, six successful dribbles, 80% pass accuracy, three goals, one assist, 57 teeth. I, w- <laughs> I want to go and look at what's in that little bowl that he drinks in the straw that we see. The mate. Yeah. What is that? I don't know. He shares it with Lucas. They share one on the way to games. Yeah, but what is it? Have it, we tested that? South Dr. Amer- Iqbal looked so, into so what's they say, in that South, stuff. South American tea. So they say, you know, caught my eye. South American tea, as I do air quotes. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh, uh, Nuri Sahin. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Composed, intelligent. His first touch is always startling. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you something else about him that I love. You know what his ringtone is? No. It's the Champions League theme. The, the Champions! What's your ringtone? Uh, right now I've got an old-style telephone. You do I, I move around. I've got the theme music from Downton Abbey. That's good. Only when you call. But the, um, the, <laughs> from upstairs. I just love a That's because I want a cup of tea. I just love... I want I just, some mate. You want some mate? I want some uh, South American tea. <laughs> I just love a player that has a Champions League yeah, that's song very good. as is really I think the other thing for Liverpool, you know, Rodgers handed Andre Wisdom 19, Suso 18 their first starts, joining Raheem Sterling 17 in the youthful side. How young are these kids going to get? They're, getting all, they're all getting new contracts. All of them are getting new contracts. He's seen the future. I'd say they've played with confidence and beauty. The only thing that was ugly about their performance, Mickey, that jersey, two words, Ugh. Ed Hardy. Yeah. Oh, that was absolutely repulsive. And your question's a good one. Yeah. How good are Liverpool? The, the answer's really, how bad were Norwich? Yeah, it's actually, I was saying, it's quite an achievement to wear a jersey that you're thinking, God, that's ugly when they're playing against Norwich. <laughs> <laughs> that big game for them next week, Stoke at home. And I will say, if Liverpool win that game, Proof of real forward momentum. Yeah, Stoke, very, very difficult uh, team to play against. Being uh, Liverpool, Mick, yeah. I didn't think this one was as good as the others. I only gave it 10 out of 10. <laughs> Rather than only 11. 10 out okay, of 10. let's go through some highlights from being Liverpool this week. Number one, Dr. Iqbal. Oh, I'm obsessed. Particularly you, you need... the scene when Carragher comes back in and starts teasing him. And obviously, Dr. Iqbal is so sick of all these players teasing him. Oh, he needs a laugh track. Yeah. Dr. Iqbal. Oh, he's hilarious. You know, i tell you what I he love. He should be on Big Bang Theory. I love the Joel and fact scene. Add more suspense in that. Oh, will the facts come through? Will the facts come that through? you can create tension Add more moment. suspense in that episode of Grey's Anatomy where Meredith has to remove a bomb <laughs> from Christina Ricci's chest cavity. Yeah. I thought it was fact... But choosing the number scene, Mickey, yeah. was one of the most erotic television scenes I've ever seen. Why didn't he choose number six? Why does he want number 24? I don't understand it. But the way Joe Allen, the way Joe Allen, the way Joe Allen was staring at Brendan Rodgers, it was like a young lover under the influence of a much older man. That's what it reminded me. See, when Osama, is... when Osama turned up, there was a lot of face touching going but, on but there. But that's why I'm obsessed right now with Brendan Rodgers, his stubby little finger gestures, he goes to his team, just two things, holding up his two little sausage fingers. Then he goes, first thing, holding up a fat little digit. And he, the, when he gets a new player, he's like, hello, precious. <laughs> See, my theory on the hand gestures, it's amazing because he holds everything up so close to his right eye. Yes. It's right Always. there. One, two things, everything, first. Duh, uh, huh, huh, everything with that little thing. But I think he's learning television. I think they always want the close-up. And I think they've said... No, you can't gesticulate outside the frame. So I think he's learning because nobody would gesticulate that close to his own right eye. So you're trying to say that it's television's fault. It's not the product of his stubby little arms. No, I'm making a joke. But I'm saying it's just remarkable <laughs> that it is always... It's great for the camera guys because his gesticulation is always in frame, which is, uh, which is excellent. There's two other things quickly. Ian Eyre on the Harley. One of the saddest scenes I've ever sad. seen. I it was so sad. glad you said that. It was like I, was almost, I, was almost, I was like, oh my God. 
I had to fast forward through it, and then I thought, oh, I can't fast forward through it. And so I went back and watched it again and accidentally hit slow motion. It is even <laughs> sadder in slow motion. It was like, honestly, it was oh. like the end of Six Feet Under, you That's know, when like they chronicle the death of everybody. <laughs> it was appalling. But it's like full kit wanker. He was a full kit wanker on a Harley. He really was. <laughs> In the streets of Liverpool. Polished up Harley. On the streets of, the of Liverpool. Oh, God. Spearing mansions. Don't even start me <laughs> on... Number one, his house was nicer than it looked in the preview, which I was Agreed. glad to see. I was happy to see. It was quite an attractive Agreed. house. Lovely wife, beautiful little girl. But I felt painfully sad for Jay Spearing. Why, Mick? Because I did too, and I've, we've figured out why, but why did you feel sad for him? Because I think he's a really, really nice guy. I think he's 20, what, three years yeah. old? Been at Liverpool ever since he was seven years old. It's always been his dream to play for Bolton, Mick. <laughs> I know. I felt painful. Here's why I felt sad for him. It was his bulldog, Pops. They say people look like their dogs. <laughs> but <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Jay Spearing's bulldog had asked for plastic surgery so it can look less like Jay Spearing. Yeah. It was appalling. No, I thought he seemed like a really nice guy. I thought that was a... It was weirdly... It was quite a normal... You know, just telling the story... You can tell how little footage they shot on being Liverpool because they've got almost no footage to go and make a whole series. So that was a good seven minutes, just seeing them at home outside on the table, feeding Freya, the story about how Freya got her name. Why do they have, this is what I wanted to ask you in all seriousness, the, the repeat return to the medical. Why were Liverpool so willing? They've clearly not given them much access, but they were willing to give them complete access. It's like watching General Hospital. We see so much of these medicals going through. I don't know. I mean, I would, I'm amazed that players sign the release to go and have their medicals shot. I'm really surprised. Um, I thought it was impressive. I actually thought that um, when they took a summer off on his medical, I was impressed with how much heart work they've they done. They saw the baby in his tummy. <laughs> no, 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 no. That wasn't a baby. That was his heart. Um, some footballers have hearts, Rog. Um, <laughs> but it was a, I thought that was, all, that was all impressive and interesting. I'm just surprised they got the releases to go and do it. But I think they had very limited numbers of shoot days. And I think they sort of you know, could spend some time on the training ground. They could spend some time around the offices and... And the medical show that Liverpool things. cares deeply about their players. Maybe it's just a bright and positive way to present yourself as well, a Well, do brand. you think their medicals are any different than any other team's medicals? Um, oh yeah, because they're done by a comedy Dr. master, Dr. Zafak. Well, uh, yeah. Oh, I adore him. He is a comedic genius. Um, <laughs> tell you who else is a comedic genius. Who? Roberto Mancini. Yeah. I don't understand why he's so pissed off. I really don't get why he's in such a bad mood. And this is why I think that, you know, they won the game at the weekend against Fulham. Fulham won Manchester City too. Um, came back. And this was a tough game for them last season, remember, early on? Uh, I can't remember whether they lost to Fulham or whether Fulham beat them in the final minute. But I remember this was like 3-2. This was a very uh, close game last season. But it's a... Um, there's something not right about Manchester City. And I think that there must be something going on behind the scenes with some pressure from the ownership, pressure from the management, uh, discord in the changing room, because Mancini has the hump in such a major way this season. Yeah, I mean, uh, this was another last gas win for Manchester City. Eden Dzeko becoming the super sub. I mean, win or lose. Win or lose, they love doing it in the last five minutes of a game. Dzeko now has scored six goals as a sub since the start of last season, more than any other player. I think concern for City fans, the eight goals that City have leaked in the last six games. Mancini, we were chatting about this this week, mate. They were He rows with managers. He's experimenting with formations. He's bringing in new coaches uh, with a massive must-win Champions League against Dortmund this week. I mean, there is internal conflict that we've read this week about the medical staff. He headhunted from Blackburn 14 months ago. He's let them go. Even though they had the best injury record in the Premier League, he's still furious. They lost Aguero to blisters at the end of last season. This, on one level, is a guy who's trying to fight internal battles, even while he's trying to defend the title, make a dent on the Champions League, and also shake his own personal kind of brand that he's a man who can't lead teams into European competition. But he seems like the most miserable man in football making. You know, these characters, I was just thinking, this collection of characters managing these Premier League teams, you know, Sir Alex, Mancini, Brendan Rodgers, AVB. I mean, RDM is a, you know, he's nothing. He wouldn't make the casting of the, you know, real managers of the Premier League right now. (laughs) But you just, Tony Pulis, like you look at these characters. They are amazing right now. 
these guys. Pulis is a bit like the Killer Bob character. Oh, God, I like Tony Pulis. I was thinking, though, Mickey... Who He's would... dressing up a bit in his, in his uh, post-match Pulis, press yeah, conferences. He you notice he's been putting the suits and he's ties on. He's been tailored. I wanted to ask you who you would rather be in life. The happy Nigel Atkins, joyful when everything around you is going to crap, or the Mancini who has everything in life you'd ever need but is always miserable? Oh, I'm much more Nigel Atkins. You are. I often say I was too positive to stay in Britain. That's why I had to leave. And it, in university, my nickname for a brief period was Mike Positive Davis. Because <laughs> people were remark- they found remarkable how positive I stayed in the face of <sighs> Mickey, extreme financial adversity. There's an inner Atkins and an inner Mancini in all of us. Is I there? Realized. Yeah. The black dog. I'm more of a Mancini kind of guy. Really? Go. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Never happy, mate. That's why you throw your clubs and you play golf. At General Webb asked us, I can see five teams that can win this title. Can you, David? City, United, Chelsea, Arsenal. Whoa, interesting. Interesting. Who would be the fifth? I have four. I have three. City, United, Chelsea. AVB, after the Tottenham win, he said, it's very difficult to go for the title. It's a place where the great teams of this country belong. We want to win a trophy this season. We want Champions League qualification. I, do, I, I believe that true title hunters, City, United, Chelsea. And if I went for a fifth, I'd say Everton ahead oh, of any of the other teams. Cut that bit out of the podcast. No, I'd say, any, I'd say Everton ahead of the others. I'd say Everton ahead of Liverpool. I'd say Everton ahead of Tottenham. I'd say Everton ahead of Newcastle. Because you believe it, Mickey, or because you no, like to torture because, me? No, not at all. I actually think that Everton have got that spine that you need to compete in the Premier League. They've got an excellent goalkeeper. They have a very, very solid defence. They have a right back and a left back who can create chances you can get forward. Uh, midfield is probably where you know, you'd have the most questions about Everton outside of Fellaini. You just sort of worry that if anything happens to Fellaini, you just sort of worry about that depth in that midfield. But up front, they have a real goal scorer. They have a striker who's going to score a lot of goals this season. So they have all of the elements. They don't have a very deep squad. That's the one thing I think that could hurt them as the season goes on. If you listened to a podcast around this time last year, you said exactly the same thing about Tottenham Hotspur, mate. I did? Exactly the wow. same thing. And it I was, can't believe you. It was borne out to be true. Well, it was true for a moment. Did they finish fifth, Tottenham? Yes, they did. Finished fourth, but they didn't get the Champions League spot because of Chelsea. Yeah. Let them cheer me up. Let's talk about fantasy football, mate. Okay. Uh, fantasy football. Rog, Jose Mourinho's the special one. Do you think that's the real Jose Mourinho who plays in our fantasy Who league? else could it be, Mick? It could be. What did they call you at university? Mike Positive Davis. Yeah. I should be Mike Positive Davis about that. <laughs> uh, he's back in first place of our Men in Blazers fantasy league with 424 points. Rog, I've just given up. I don't even change my team on Fridays now. Uh, Jose, please, if you're listening to the pod, please give us a call. Um, send us an email. Send your raven to the crap part of Soho. Meninblazers at gmail.com. We'd love to talk to you about your, uh, about your strategy. And we'd like you to advise us on our financial assets as well. Yeah, that would our be fantastic. Yep. In second place is uh, Team El Tigre Chino from <laughs> Tuan Tran. You know, there's a... Uh, I know a Tuan Tran. I wonder if it's the same Tuan Tran. Huh. If you work in accounting at Sony Pictures Entertainment, Tuan, definitely get also, back to work. Uh, give us a call. And uh, moving up the table is Team Pinar Butner Jelly from <laughs> uh, Moshi Davidovich. Brilliant. We love Team Pinar Butner Jelly. Very good. <laughs> Ravens. Yeah. yeah, Ravens flying in all over the ledge. You know, is that they love it. The Ravens love it when the leaves start to change, Rog. They love fall. They love autumn, Ravens. It's a great, great season to be a Raven whisperer. Yeah, it really is. Um, they're in. First of all, from Patrick from Boston. Question. My dad loves to reminisce about the days of terraces. I admit, I spend most matches standing in spite of the perfectly good chair behind me. Care to share a few stories about the good old days standing and singing? Were they really good old days? Should us Yanks try to bring them back? Rod, terraces. You should describe what they are. Well, terraces were just, you know, massive areas in stadiums where there were no seats. And you just used to stand behind sort of uh, and occasionally dotted with sort of uh, metal railings to go and give you some support to go and lean on. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to understand for the people who've just come to love English football before the Premier League, which kind of commercialised English football, the business model was to fill the stadium. You'd pack it. 
Yeah. There were no cameras, so there was no need to gussy it up, and everything smelt of piss, beer, cigarettes, police horse, turd. Huge standing. And that was in the luxury suites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huge standing only terraces. They'd reverberate with noise. It was an amazing supporter experience. It was also where I learned to go to the toilet by rolling up my program and then just pissing on the guy in front of me. Do you remember <laughs> it? Do you remember it fondly? Um, you know, only spent, freely admit, only spent a few times in the terraces. But as sort of an eight-year-old at Upton Park and Stamford Bridge and the Valley, like places where you really should not have an eight-year-old, you know, listening, quite apart from the language, there's the threat of death violence and uh probably poisoning <laughs> from from anything that you would consume or getting pissed on by the by the wanker behind by, by, me by me, like, by me know, as it turns out we've met before haven't so, we <laughs> um but yeah terrible and also you know one card thing as we've been talking a lot about the hillsborough disaster recently is that you know the the terraces were part of an era where you know ground safety you know public safety was just nobody even thought about it for a second yeah. and so uh it's a better experience now. I mean, the clubs, in the wake of Hillsborough, there was a report issued, the Taylor Report, which banned terraces and made all the stadiums all seat up. Uh, and the clubs use it as an excuse to price out the working class fans and start to target the corporate clientele. So, I mean, there was a huge furor this week in the uh, Arsenal-Chelsea game. The minimum ticket price was $100, 62 quid. Uh, many people are nostalgic for a return to... The terraces. The terrace was also a time it, it really uh, overlapped with the hooligan uh, era of English football. I, I was chatting to, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago about whether you can be a proper fan from America as you, of a team as you are in, in England. And I was talking to my mate, my, my, my Arsenal mate, Michael Cohen. We were reminiscing about what it's like to have gone to a game back in the 80s. And he said, you know, you go to Highbury and you go with his dad and his, his uncle. And you just see people, do you remember people being beaten, having the crap knocked out of them left, right and centre as you entered the stadium and it was entirely normal, he said it was just carnage, a war zone and you'd just step over bleeding bodies, he'd be seven or eight, just step over bleeding bodies and enter the stadium. I mean, I think people miss as much as anything the, the pre-utterly commercial days of soccer, I think that's what people are nostalgic for as much as they were the actual terrorist days, were you ever beaten up at a football match Mickey? Never. Never. I was beaten up but never, never at a football match. First game I ever went to, Everton, Aston Villa. Yeah. Big riot outside the stadium as I left. I was seven. I think I told you this on the Sirius show. And I, I got separated from my dad and a group of uh, Birmingham gentlemen. I was seven. I was on the ground in a homemade, in a homemade Everton shirt that my mum had a polyester blue shirt that she'd, she'd sewn on a number. And she'd sewn on in stitching. It said Scouse Power. You couldn't, there were no Everton shirts on the market back then. And they were, the number was already falling off after one wearing at the game. And they were just about to punch me. I was in the recovery position. And they pointed at me. And the leader of the gang just looked at me with, like, spit coming out of his mouth. He goes, leave this one. He looks a bit special. <laughs> and they all ran off and left me just urinating in my own pants on the floor. You yeah. were seven. Yeah. It's true. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And how old were these guys? This one's a bit special. You know, I didn't stop to ask them, Mick. <laughs> but were they kids? Were they teenagers? They were, were teenagers. They... they were teenagers. And that they owe me a dry cleaning bill for one pair of <laughs> tiny little underpants. <laughs> Jimmy Savile underpants. Um, it's a, yeah, I'm not that nostalgic about it. I love the Premier League. And of course, you know, we grew up, I loved, you know, I just really remember the first time I really got into football in, uh, I was probably about seven years old or eight years old on the, the, in the junior school playground playing football with my mates where the goals were between a couple of fe- you know the breaks in the fences was the goal trading our uh, bigger panini yeah stickers. well probably not panini maybe they were forgotten who the who the cards were I don't think they were panini but they were you know they were trading like tops, our cards like tops baseball yeah. cards and I had like you know two favourite teams Chelsea and Bristol City <laughs> were my other team back then for some uh, strange reason I was obsessed with Jeff Merrick and his curly perm but it's a um but it was football was almost it was uh, it was terrifying. The fact that I liked football terrified my parents. The fact that I wanted to go to games at the weekend. So I would, my dad hates football. So the fact that I would ask everybody's friend, like if their dad, it's why I went to West Ham. It's why I went to Charlton. It's why I went to Palace. It's why I went to a lot of the clubs I didn't support, just because I wanted to go to the football to go and do it. But it was always, always scary. And actually, I rather envy the fact that my nephews grew up being able to go their whole lives to Chelsea and never really been scared. I mean, they've seen fights, but they've never been scared. 
Terraces. <laughs> yeah, you love it. You're nostalgic. Okay, from Matt Henry in Frederick, Maryland. During the matches in the first part of the season, I constantly see men off of the pitch with terrible sunburns. <laughs> Assistant managers, physios, supporters. Do they not have suntan lotion in England? Is a raspberry red face in late August and early September some sort of badge of honor in England? Yeah. As part of a modern-day Colombian exchange, could we send over some SPF 75 and get some Boddingtons and pie minster pies in return? Good idea. I'm not sure that I have ever worn sunscreen in my life in Britain. <laughs> now, I was aware of it'd sunscreen. Be, be a faux pas, the piz buin when you would go off to Europe, to the continent, <laughs> but, uh, or the tropics, anywhere that's not in Europe. But it would, it's not something in England. I did once get terribly sunburned in Dundee at the Scottish University Tennis Championships, where just it was sort of freak two days of weather. Dundee is the uh, Abu Dhabi of uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's so, so warm. I, I, think, I was thinking about this. Notions of vacation are a very modern invention. Did, did you have this stuff? Until cheap plane travel allowed us to leave England, which I didn't do till very late in life, we holidayed in Blackpool on the beach. And the English holiday experience, you need to understand this. We used to drive over to northern France. We, we'd sit on the beach in the rain and the wind, and we'd yeah. pretend we were enjoying ourselves. There was never any sun. <laughs> and I think we're still getting used to the sun in England. My mum, my mother, goes out into the garden and sunbathes when it gets over 50 degrees <laughs> in Liverpool. We are, we, we are no English people, and you need to understand this, Matt Henry and Frederick Maryland. English people are no different to a remote tribe in the Amazon who are brought into modern-day civilization, and we lose all of our teeth because we're not used to synthetic sweetener. So, so pity us. But there's another... There's another first, last year, we said sunglasses yeah. were a boom market for America. Yeah. Suntan cream. I'm not sure that all of those red faces are to do simply about sunburn. I think high blood pressure, um, large <laughs> consumption of pies, <laughs> and, uh, and probably beer and weed. Wide, wide, <laughs> widespread alcoholism yeah. dependency. Yeah. I think it's probably gout. Gout <laughs> of the face. Um, Chad Stevrumer. Question, what do you think about Ryan Tunnicliffe's dad placing a £100 bet that he, Ryan Tunnicliffe, would play for Man United's first team someday? What would you wager on your children becoming accomplishing? And how much would you wager on that event happening? Oh, that's good. I think Ryan Tunnicliffe's dad is an idiot. So Ryan Tunnicliffe's dad wagered £100 on him when he was a kid. How old was he when he placed the bet? Nine. Nine years old that he would play for Man United. Ryan Tunnicliffe turned out for United in the, in the Capital One Cup. Yep. Um, uh because they've just invented credit cards in Britain, and um, uh, and uh, got a hundred to one return, which seems that's the stingiest odds of all time. I was going to say it makes no sense to me. Unless, None of this. unless at nine he was amazing at football. But it makes no sense, Mickey. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, the bookies win here for a hundred thousand pound. They get to benefit from blanket global news coverage. Yeah. But for his dad, he, he must be an idiot. The odds of you playing for Manchester United... Oh, sorry, it was a £100 bet, and it paid out 100000 It paid out 10000 Oh, so it's, yeah, 100 to 1. It's, it's, it, there's, there's 739 million people just living in Europe. There's 25 players on a Manchester United squad at any one time. Yeah, and uh, Kagawa is one of them. He didn't grow up in Europe. <laughs> Second, why would you put 100 quid on your son to play for Manchester United, knowing that if he ever did play for Manchester United, the paltry 10000 you're going to get. That's just what you spend oh, you're spending on the night in a strip club. If your son won and played You're going to make a lot more than 10,000. Thank you. It just makes no sense to me whatsoever. Except if 10,000 pounds when Ryan Tunnicliffe was nine seemed like so much money, but this wasn't 1954. Tunnicliffe is only, what, 19 years old now, 18 years old? Well, he stands to make more money if Tunnicliffe is quite good. Yeah. He, he also put on 100 quid at odds of 350 to one they'll play for England. Okay, so you have how many children? Four children. Yeah. We, Roger and I, we were mates for two years before we even discussed <laughs> the fact we were married and had children. We just talked about football the whole time. So you have four children. I, I have four children. I put bets on all of them. You have? Yep. One to become a middle manager at Geico. Yeah. Another to work as a line chef at Subway. Yeah. I didn't get 100 to 1 on that. Uh-huh. Fortunately, I got 80 to 1. Yeah. Yeah. And the other two, I'm still working at. Yeah, I don't know. Too young to tell, really. I don't know. The other team. I'm a little worried. You know, my eight-year-old daughter yep. has become obsessed with skateboarding. And see, 
Honestly, if, 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 if I'd come home last night and my mother had, and uh, her mother had told me that she was obsessed with crack cocaine or, uh, you know, exotic dancing, I would be less worried than her becoming obsessed with skateboarding. Because I, I, I walk be. around New York and I see all these little skate punks around. And I, uh, that, that, the prospect of her rolling in that crew, that really I find alarming. You're a television man. I'm surprised you're not. Got so I'm actually willing to go the other way. I'm willing to go and offer her any amount of money right now to go and give up skateboarding. <laughs> Get that tennis racket back in your hand. Get that golf club. What was the catalyst for the skateboard fascination? I don't know. It must be a slightly older kid who she saw skateboarding. But at a very early age, she would see extreme sports on television that make me go, yeah. and she would go, cool. Like she loved it from an early age. I think you should make her watch Being Liverpool. Show yeah. up Brendan Rodgers and say, that man loves skateboarding. I'll tell Make you. Make watch that. Yeah. And put her off it in a heartbeat. Maybe. <laughs> with, his, with his finger incredibly close. <laughs> you hang it 360 right, right now. Three things. One, <laughs> trucks. Two, wheels. Three, Ollies. wheelies. Um, okay, uh, final. Raven, Nate Winnier. Question. I've been watching the EPL every weekend now for a couple of years. It just dawned on me recently that I don't think I've yet seen a single honey shot from the stands during a TV broadcast. Don't get me wrong. Everybody loves a good wanker sign, but honey shots are a staple of any American sports broadcast, and their absence from the EPL is puzzling and troubling. Do attractive women not attend EPL matches? Are there no attractive women in England? I've been to an EPL match with my wife, who is quite fetching, so I know that an attractive female has attended an EPL match at least <laughs> once in history. Katie, if you're listening to the pod, um, I really don't care that much. Just asking for a friend. The honey shot, Mick. Is that a technical term? Well, during the World Cup, of course, we see honey shots galore. That's like a big staple of World Cup football, one of the things that, uh, that we and our ESPN editors really enjoy. Is that you uh, mean when they do a close-up of Bob Lee? Is that a honey yeah, shot? Yeah, that's a honey shot. No greater honey shots than that. Um, but I, I would say, um, my guess is, is if you went close in on an attractive female to an English Premier League game, despite uh, how much uh, safer an environment and more family an environment it is, she'd probably be being sexually harassed pretty severely <laughs> at the point. I, I honestly, my first reaction when I read this, I think they do do honey shots, Nate. And you're just mistaking our nation's beauties for fat men. But then I, I thought about it, and I realised, Mickey, and you're a television man, so you yeah. may have more to say on this. American and British people want two different things out of their television watching experiences. Well, they're also there are no stoppages, so there are no commercial breaks. They, so when are you going to cut to the crowd? But if you in America, you look at soap operas back in the day. Yeah. America gave us Dallas Dynasty, Heart to Heart, Aspirational Opulence. We had EastEnders, Coronation Street, soap operas about working-class poverty. Mm -hmm. Americans want to strive for more. We want to feel better about ourselves and superior to the meager hand we have, you know, been dealt. So they give us fat men. Fat men, preferably with their shirts off, with Chelsea tattoo between their nipples. It makes <laughs> us feel better about ourselves, mate. This is why I had to leave Britain as Mike Positive Davis. <laughs> Mike, can I just call you... Did they just call you Positive? Or was no, it was Mike, Mike, positive, positive? Mike Positive Davis. That's what I was it was, a, it was an insult. It was an insult. It was the, the, the essence of that was that I tried a bit too hard and I was always looking forward. And it was seen, you know, the whole thing in England, you're meant to seem as louche, effortless, and sort of slightly depressed as possible. That's the sort of, that's the air that you try to cultivate. Did you have a pair of white jeans? I can imagine you coming over the hill and everyone being like, oh no, God, here's Mike Positive Davis. Uh, I probably did own a pair of white jeans. Yeah. For a while, I was part of a hey subset guys. of sort of soul boys known as cappuccino kids. And we were a little bit, you know, white jeans wearing, Fiorucci jacket wearing. Let's get out of here. It's Mike Positive Davis. I oh, know, he's going to hey be guys. all positive. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great day to be alive. Yeah. No, no, the other reason is I was well known for being that I was the guy that girls went to for advice when they got broke up with by guys. Uncle Mike Positive yeah. Davis. No, and that was my whole thing. It's, I was very good at giving positive advice to girls who'd just been broken up with. Just get back on the saddle <laughs> with me. <laughs> no, well, yeah, no. Well, but at that point, I've been to America, which, coming back to the Raven <laughs> and the reason why they don't take too many shots of British women in the stands. Anyway, I testify this week from Hugh Jones, Rod, set it up. Every week, we celebrate America's unstoppable obsession with the sport we love. Person by person, we celebrate this conversion and award every essay a blazer patch. Beautifully said, Rog. Hugh Jones, 
I last played soccer over 16, soccer, over 16 years ago when I was in grade school, but I always missed the game. During the last 10 or so years, my love and knowledge for soccer has grown exponentially, fueled mostly recently by your podcasts. Finally, after not being able to stand it any longer following Euro 2012, I decided to join a low-level co-ed soccer league. Hmm. And my first game was two weeks ago. I prepared the typical way, watching video highlights of Messi and planning my goal celebrations for when I inevitably scored off a curling free kick. I decided the Ronaldo pointing at my right quad thing would be appropriate. Yet, understated way, note my return. After all, I've been watching professional soccer almost religiously for 10 years, so I was pretty confident going in. Unbeknownst to me, having the mindset of an elite soccer player does not translate into on-field skill. I can't say exactly when I came to this realization. First, I thought I just had a heavy first touch, but then all of my touches seemed to be heavy. For some reason, every time I got the ball, it was immediately stolen from me, often by a Megan Rapino clone who duped me nearly out of my cleats. After 90 minutes of this nonsense, the game mercifully ended. I could barely move for four days, yet despite all of this, I can barely wait for my next match. Because when I do finally score that first faithful goal, it will be all the sweeter. I'll run to my closest male teammate, hold him in my arms, and celebrate 80s style with a wet kiss on the mouth. Only then <laughs> will my love of the game truly be consummated. Oh, Mickey, I was shocked by that ending. I thought it was guaranteed to be a ruptured testicle kind of yeah. story. There is that. There is that awful realization. I've retired from playing. Uh, from you, playing you, from, from international playing football. football. No, from playing. Uh, from playing indoor soccer. Producer Greg still plays down at Chelsea. Players still plays. He's a younger man. But I've retired because I've just my sense of what how I should be playing versus how I'm actually able to play at the age of 46. They're, I'm not in the same. I retired anymore. too, Mick. I retired. We I played on the team of English guys who were yeah. all. We scored unbelievable, beautiful goals, but. Every goal we scored, the other team scored five or six. We were playing against like 18, 19-year-old Latino guys who'd have beers before the game and then just destroy us. Yeah. And I retired in the middle of a game. I was like, you know, John Crook hit 300 and, and automatically in the middle of the game just lifted up the base, walked off the field and retired. I think he was playing for the White Sox. I went to elbow a guy in the face and completely missed. He was so fast-paced, he was gone by the time my elbow would slice through the air. And I just immediately knew that was time for me never to play again. It's weird because on a tennis court, I can still move, Rog. I still am pretty quick on a tennis court and still move around. And on a Broadway on a stage pitch, with tap like, shoes, honestly, I can still do it, Mickey. Yeah, it was honestly, on a football pitch, it was like my feet were in mud. I couldn't move anymore on a football pitch. Had no ability to uh, move laterally. I feel like ball. I'm listening to Rio Ferdinand. It's impressive. Yeah, <laughs> it's similar. Uh, Rog, uh, this weekend. Whoa, what a well, weekend. By the way, we've got a week. We've got a lot of Champions League uh, this week. I know uh, we're leaving this podcast. We're going to watch Cluj. A huge Cluj fans. Come on, the railway men. Yes. And uh, this weekend, uh, big games. Uh, well, apart from El Clasico, Barcelona, Real Madrid. Can't wait. 1. Sunday. 1.50 p.m. Eastern time Sunday on B in Sport. Al Jazeera. Yeah. Uh, but we've got Man City versus Sunderland, 7.45 a.m. Eastern Time, Saturday. It's test for two. City, that, mate. Yeah, Sunderland, good, by Hard the way. Hard to break down. Stephen Fletcher. Guaranteed to score. Bloody good player. Uh, it amazes me that Scotland... Uh, have they recalled him into Scotland now? They have. Be playing. feel like they're going to be a better team. Uh, Chelsea versus Norwich. Evil versus good with evil-handed hosting duties. <laughs> 10 a.m. Eastern Time, Saturday, <laughs> 10 6. Fuck, sucker. And Newcastle versus Manchester United, 11 a.m. Rio time Ferdinand versus Denver Bar. Yeah, the Newcastle. Ghost of Christmas Past versus the Ghost of Christmas Present. Mate. You know what? We haven't spoken a lot about Newcastle this season, but I would say a slightly disappointing uh, start to the season for them. I'd agree. But Denver Bar. What a goal he scored. And not the one with his wrist. Very impressive. Um, so, uh, Rog, uh, you can listen to us every Monday, every Friday, Sirius XM. Uh, Sirius 92 XM 207 uh, we follow the football show Mondays and Fridays at 9am follow us on Twitter at Rog Bennett at Embassy Davis go to meninblazers.com shop in our emporium oh, it's amazing it's got everything a tiny little slither of all of your purchases go to uh, keep producer Greg um, in his new iPhone 5. whichever GFOP just uh, brought a Briggs and Stratton riding lawn tractor with six-speed transmission. Thank you. We thank you. Producer Greg, he had a new barrow, uh, marrow bone to gnaw. Yeah, brilliant. That's so good. He <laughs> loves marrow. We grew up on a farm in Nebraska. That was a, that was a treat. Um, so, uh, yeah, keep on uh, going there. Keep on shopping there. Uh, follow us on Facebook. Uh, email us, meninblazers at gmail.com. Send your ravens to the crap 
part of Soho, and the GFOP newsletter will be making a return soon. That was Mike Positive Davis speaking. I promise I will influence Rog to do that. Kung Fu fighting, Mickey. Too right. We'd like to thank you for listening to today's show. For more great podcasts, check out the Pod Center page at ESPNRadio.com. Okay. <sighs>